And next, we are joined by a guest to close out tonight's show. We're joined by Raina Lipsitz, who will join, who has written the book, The Rise of the New Left, How Young Radicals Are Shaping the Future of American Politics. And this weekend, there's the upcoming talk at James Connolly Social Club on October 22nd. So welcome to Hudson Mohawk Magazine. Welcome, Raina. <laughs> welcome. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Thank you for uh, coming on. Yeah, thank you for being here. Can we start? Could you give us a general summary of your book before we dive into it? Sure. Um, I wanted to write the book because I'd been interviewing lots of new progressive candidates, uh, wanted to paint a more nuanced portrait of who these energized young people were, where they were coming from. I also wanted to talk to folks on the ground and not just political celebrities themselves, although the book does have interviews that I did with Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and people who are bigger names, but it really, um, one thing I really wanted to do was get the voices of a lot of people doing the work on the ground. Okay, uh, let me uh, chime in, uh, Raina, um, before we go, go any further. Tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, where you were born and raised at. Okay. I was born and raised in Buffalo, New York. Oh, um, I was just there yesterday. A lot of fam. Oh, you were? Yes, okay. yes. What, what brought you there? Um, I have um, a business interest that takes me up there once a week into Hamilton, Ontario, okay. Canada. Yeah, right across nice. the border. So go ahead. I'm sorry for yes. interrupting. Mm -hmm. No, I just, uh, I love Buffalo. My whole family's still there uh, pretty much with, you know, one or two exceptions. But my brothers are there. My parents are there. And I've been writing basically my whole life since I was in sixth grade, uh, got really interested in nonfiction as an adult and have a, did the Columbia writing program at Columbia University in creative nonfiction. So that's sort of my background. And then I've, I've been reporting for years and freelancing for uh, several years and mostly writing about politics. Okay. Okay. And uh, what spurred your interest in writing about politics opposed to uh other topics? Uh, that's a good question. I guess I feel like I come from a family of activists. My um, parents are pretty politically involved, and so are some of my aunts and uncles uh, come from a labor family. My grandfather was a, a labor lawyer in Buffalo, New York, and so I've always had a real strong interest in organized labor and in progressive politics more generally. Okay. So with your book, a big question that I have is you're talking about the uh, you mentioned AOC and also um, could you give us some, some of the names of, of some of the lesser known people who you were interviewing for the book? Sure. Um, I think one of my favorite interviews I did with, was with a woman named Sadiqa Reynolds, who was then running the Louisville Urban League in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, she's no, she stepped down, I think earlier this year, but that was a very interesting person to have met. Um, I'll, there were, I also spoke with a number of women from dream defenders in Miami, Florida, which is a, a black led radical organization. They're socialists. They are, um, they occupied the Capitol in, I want to say either 2013 or 2014, uh, in response to, to Trayvon Martin's 
um, shooting, and they are doing some really, really important work in Miami, and Sadiqa Reynolds was doing some really important work in Louisville, and those are just parts of the country that I feel like we don't hear as much about, so it's really important to me not just to get diverse voices, but to get um, diverse geographical representation in the book. So um, from a journalist standpoint, was it hard to get access to all these individuals? Did you have to have to jump through a lot of hoops and rings and did you have to sign out waivers and all of that stuff before you, you know? Um, you know, it, pe people were very generous with me. I, uh, I think Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was the hardest person to actually sit down with because she is a, is a pretty big deal. <laughs> so, it was, so it took a little more hoop jumping to get access to her. Mm -hmm. I think these other folks, because they're lesser known, uh, you know, wasn't quite as many layers between them and me, but they were, I really appreciated how generous they were with their time. And a lot of people trusted me in a way that I was, I was quite touched by. Great. Um, I'm sure uh, um, Alexandria Arcaso, she had so many gatekeepers. It's like probably, geez, how do I get a hold to this person? <laughs> not, you know, not when I very first met her because I first met her before she won the election and that was a little easier. But uh, certainly as soon as she won that race, she, she got a lot less accessible. <laughs> okay. Uh, one more question and then I'm going to give it to my um, co-host. Um, so... If we lose, if they lose the House in November, which is projected mm -hmm. to be true, um, where do you see the uh, Marjorie Taylor Greens uh, going, and what type of power will they have? And you know, um, how? Uh, what's the question I'm going to say? Uh, how big of a setback the uh, modest gains we have made? How big of a setback will it be if she really has her way? Um, I, I think it'll be a tremendous setback. I, I do think that, you know, we always focus so much on electoral politics. My book is uh, a lot about electoral politics, but I think it's really important to think about people and movements and how even if the Republicans, um, you know, take control of the House and the Senate, you know, that will be bad. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Those would be pretty dark days. But Absolutely. I think that, you know, more important even than the people who hold those seats are people organizing in the streets. I mean, we really saw that in 2020, uh, millions and millions of people in the streets. And that did have an impact on our politics. Um, we have to be strategic about it. We have to learn how to wield some skills that we haven't been using for a long time and but I, I I think there are opportunities there so I don't think we don't need to despair but it, it it's not going to be good if um if they lose the house one other thing and I think my colleague wants me to ask this question um hijacking the mic right exactly never met a mic I didn't like Rena. so um what I think is one thing I kind of um appreciate in the Republicans in their agenda is they will try to win at all costs, and they don't mind a good fight. Sometimes I think we as Democrats, we're just too doggone soft. You know, sometimes you don't go to a, um, a gunfight with a slingshot. 
you know, and in and, and, yeah. and, and our narratives. And we keep thinking that one day they're going to wake up and play fair, but they don't. And when we realize that, maybe then and only then will we begin to level the playing field. Can you speak to that, please? Yeah, well, I, I think a lot of the people I spoke to for my book would agree with you. And, you know, many of them are not uh, people who would call themselves Democrats, or at least not first and foremost. I, I think that they, many of them would vote Democratic, but they don't identify with the party in part because they don't think the party has uh, really represented them or been fighting forcefully enough. I just so, told my colleague that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. So what is it about this movement? This is the first rise of the major left wing uh, since the 60s. And um, so why this movement now? And can we sustain it and not burn out and and keep momentum in this system that uh, is rigged? And we only have about two minutes left. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I hope that we can. I think that one thing I learned from writing the book is that this new left is is a lot more organized in certain ways than the old left and and is learning how to use new tools to organize. Right there. We have the Internet now. There are all kinds of new technologies that we have. And I think that uh, people are really getting serious in a way that they hadn't been on the left in a long time. And that's what the book is about, that we do see these new organizations and a new strength. So how sometimes it feels like a little bit defeating with the system that is bipartisan, only with two party system. What are some ways that what are some ways that keep you hopeful as uh, as you're doing this research? I, I think talking to people who are a lot younger than I am keeps me keeps me pretty um, hopeful because they are, you know, listen, they, they're fighting because they have to fight. You know, they are in the middle of climate catastrophe. They've lived through two global recessions, two, two iterations of Black Lives Matter. And I think that is, has woken a lot of people up and gotten them energized, not just to vote, but to really organize in a serious way um, and build organizations that are trying to take some take power back. And I think that is, uh, that's what's hopeful to me. It's not, it's not that we're going to get really change the voting system overnight or change our electoral system, but it's that people are getting serious about strategy and skill building and actually learning how to do politics. Or you said the key word, Rena, power. It's all about power. That's why they will look the other way and hold their nose because this is about power, plain and simple. And just quickly, so on Saturday, James, you're talking at the James Connolly Social Club on October 22nd. Um, just quickly to end us out, how important are these small local grassroots movements? Um, they're really important. I think actually that local change is one of is really where it's at, and building organizations in your neighborhood and your city working on state level races, in fact, is is much more important now, even than anything at the federal level. Thank you so much, Raina Lipsitz, for joining us about your book, The Rise of a New Left, How Young Radicals Are Shaping the Future of Young Politics. 